Everybody here going to make it, say amen. amen. He made the way, didn't he? We're just following it. Praise God. We're going to start a new series today. I titled it Life Lessons. Uh, the title is A Dumb Smart Man. And it's from the book of Ecclesiastes. You say, why would you call a man dumb? Well, the Bible calls them when they act like he act a fool. Uh, talking about the book of Ecclesiastes, it's quite a unique book. It shows you what life's like if you don't trust God and don't depend on God and don't look to God. So that's what we've got to learn today. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 if you'd like to follow along. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You get the message he's trying to get across there? What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation cometh, but the earth abides forever. The sun also arises and the sun goes down and hastens to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south and turns about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returns again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things, all full of labor, man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that, that, that has been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It has been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. The preacher was king over Israel, in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Somebody had a quote, it's pretty good. He said, We live in the era of smartphones and stupid people. <laughs> um, we all know what it's like to say something stupid. And as a preacher, you get a lot of opportunities sometimes to uh, say things you wish you wouldn't have said. That's one of the benefits of not talking so much. You don't say as many stupid things a lot of times. Uh, somebody said if you can determine somebody that's dumb or stupid versus a smart person, smart people learn from everything and everyone. Average people learn from their experiences. Stupid people already have all the answers. The problem with the world is that the intelligent people are full of doubts and the stupid people are full of confidence. Uh, I remember this. I wasn't saved when I went to the University of Florida. I got saved the second semester over there. But my first semester, I was already intimidated. I'm coming from Williston, and I'm in there with all these people in there, and I felt just intimidated. And the first class I got into, the professor says, all right, we're going to greet everybody. I want everybody to go, through the, go down the aisles, stand up, tell us your name and where you're from. I thought, oh, no. 
And so I'm going to be 15 or 20 people before they got to me. And uh, they would stand up and say, such and such, my name's Bill. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Mary, Atlanta, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Tampa, Orlando. Kept all these big cities. I said, my name's Wes. I'm from Williston. And everybody, some snickered like this. And I was already, my face was turning red, and, but the teacher made me mad. Uh, he said, Williston, where is that? And that really made me mad because I thought myself, you've been a professor here in Gainesville 10, 15 years. You're supposed to be smart, and you don't know where Williston is 20 minutes away. There's nothing you can teach me today. That's what I wanted to tell him. Uh, but it, it made me very irritated. Sometimes smart people can do stupid things. And uh, here's, a, here's a list of some people that were not telling on themselves so much, but telling on their friends, brother-in-law, sister, cousin, or whatever, what they did that was very stupid. But they were very intelligent people. Listen to some of these. My friend has a master's degree in mechanical engineering and robotics. He once, we had a party, he made a potato salad with raw potatoes because he thought a salad, you're not supposed to cook anything. My brother-in-law, who's very cheap, he ordered a toaster off of Amazon, and he was so happy bragging about how cheap he got this toaster, but it was a kid's toaster. came with a little piece of plastic bread. Uh, my brother-in-law's a pretty clever guy. He was running the bath water for his kids and could not get the faucet to turn off its strip something, and he started panicking. So he called a friend, which was a plumber, to get over here quick because this thing's going to fill up and flood our house. He said, I can't get there for 30 minutes. He said, well, our house will be messed up if you can't get it for 30 minutes. He said, have you thought about unplugging, doing the stopper? He said, oh, yeah. Uh, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, one guy said, my friend was a high school valedictorian and was going to pull a prank on his roommate. So he gathered up some deer droppings. If anybody knows what deer droppings look, it looks like dark blueberries anyway he put them in the cocoa puff cereal <laughs> uh, a week later he forgot he had done that so he had the bowl of cereal with the deer droppings in uh, one guy said I was picking up my date and her roommate was watching television of a man welding and she turned to me and said don't look at the TV it'll blind you he said, blind me. He said, yeah, you can't look at that. It'll blind. He said, Do you, you can look at the sun on TV. She said she realized it and turned beet red. My brother was a, has a Ph.D. in bioengineering, and we were talking on the phone one day. He told me, you know, I can't find my phone. I don't know if my kids got it or if I left it at the office. He said, really, what phone are you talking to me on? He said, oh, there it is. So anyway, <laughs> some people can be very intelligent, but we can do some stupid things. And that's what the preacher was uh, here that we're going to look at in this text. If you look at 1 Kings 4, 30 and 31, you see how smart this guy was, how wise it was. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. Just stop right there. Think about that. This man was wise, smart, but he lived the life sometimes like he was one of the dumbest people on the face of the earth. It's hard for me to fathom. So we're going to look at that today. 
He's going to give some practical advice, and we're going to learn from his mess-ups a lot of times. Now, let's look at this book. We're going to lay a little bit of foundation for this book, for this series. The book of Ecclesiastes is what's called the wisdom section of the Bible. The wisdom section is usually considered Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Some people put Song of Solomon in that part, too. There are words or phrases that he uses continuously in this book. The word vanity, we looked at verse 2. He used it about four or five times, six times in that one verse. Vanity is used 62 times in the Old Testament. 37 times is used just in this book right here. And we'll talk about in a moment what it really means. Another phrase that he uses is under the sun. And under the sun is basically talking about life from man's perspective. Life down here without an eternal perspective perspective without God in the picture so to speak is all just pretty much meaningless and vanity and useless now if I was to choose two songs that I could remember growing up to be a good theme for this book I would think of 1969 Peggy Lee is that all there is because uh, he looked at, he had everything anybody on earth could ever want and he said is this all there is or he could be like the Rolling Stones 1965 I can't get no satisfaction uh, that was pretty much the story of his life. Now, he wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote some Psalms. He wrote Ecclesiastes, and he wrote the Song of Solomon. A lot of people say he wrote these three books at different stages of his life. And probably true. I'm not 100% sure on that, but that's what most Bible scholars think. He wrote the Song of Solomon. I don't know how many are familiar with the Song of Solomon. That's probably R-rated. It's talking about his love life with a Shulamite woman. I probably shouldn't have said that. Some of y'all be reading that while I'm trying to preach. <laughs> anyway, uh, that might have been when he was young in his life. Uh, Proverbs. A lot of people think Proverbs came later in his life when he's looking back and he's got all these practical... Proverbs has got these little practical sayings like you put on the church sign out there. Just little sentence sermons, so to speak. And great wisdom from this guy. And some people think Ecclesiastes is what he wrote during his midlife, when he's trying all these things and just coming up empty on everything, but he's really just trying to find out what life's all about. Maybe it is. I'm not 100% sure on that. But midlife or middle life or middle age, somebody said it's when you hear two voices always, why not or why bother? James Dobson said this, midlife crisis is the time of intense personal evaluation posing questions about who am I, why am I here, and what all this means. It's a period of self-doubt and being disenchanted and questioning everything familiar and stable. You heard about the old boy that was going through the midlife crisis. <clears throat> he was about 50-something years old, and uh, he dyed his hair coal black, got, his, got him an earring, put some tattoos on him, unbuttoned his shirt down to his belly button so his old hairy chest could show, and he had a bunch of gold chains around his neck, got him a, a sports car and all this kind of stuff. And he was talking to his buddy one time. He said, you know, my girlfriend thinks I'm going through a midlife crisis. He said, but what does she know? She's only 18. Anyway, anyway, that's a whole other sermon in itself. When a man's in his 20s, he thinks he can save the world. When he's in his 50s, he'd be happy just to save a little bit of his salary. Mark Twain said this about midlife. He said, 
wouldn't it have been better if God would have made us come into this world when we're about 80 and work our way backwards? And that time we got the energy and the vim and vigor to do anything, we'd have some intelligence to go along with it. Uh, that would be good. Let's look at the author of this book. Now, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, this book coming from the preacher, <coughs> he doesn't say who he was. We'll tell you who he was and he, why we can easily find out who it is. He's very negative, very pessimistic. Now, as a preacher, you have to preach negative sometimes to appreciate the positive. You can't just, there's some preachers just preach positive things, but they're preaching people into hell, a lot of them. So you sometimes have to point out the negative because to get to the positive, you'll appreciate that. But this man's preaching like, Life's not worth living. Everything's useless. It's a waste of time. What's the use? What's the purpose? Very, very negative. He doesn't seem like he has a whole lot of uh, good things to say. Now, who was this? He calls himself a preacher, and it means communicator, one who addresses the assembly. And the word for assembly there is where we get the word ecclesia. Ecclesia in the New Testament is called the church, the called out ones. Ecclesia, he's preaching to the crowd or the assembly ecclesia ecclesiastes that's where the book of ecclesiastes comes from that's where that title comes from now he says he's from the tribe of judah and his father was king david so we can pretty much tell who this is now i was leaving winn dixie uh friday morning went to get something and was walking it back out parking lot to my truck there was a woman coming towards me. I looked like I recognized her, but I didn't. I just spoke to her and said, how you doing? She said, just fine. I got about four steps. She said, hey. I turned back around. She said, hold on, hold on for just a second. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, are you the preacher up there at the church? I said, yes, ma'am, right here at the top of the hill. She said, I thought you were. I've been to your church one or two times. I said, Really? You coming back or something like that? And she said, well, yes, I've had a lot of problems. And she told me a lot of problems and everything. She said, I'd like to come back. Uh, I'm not married. And all. I said, well, we got a good class. Uh, 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 she was in her 70s. She, I said, we got a good class of ladies there. Some of them are married. Some are widows. Uh, but I think you'd really enjoy that. And I was thinking about this. You know, when somebody comes to class, in our Sunday school class, sometimes Tony asks me, he said, have they been here before? And I'll say, I think so. And I don't know their name. He asked me their name. I said, I can't remember their name. Anyway, on the first Sunday night of uh, May, we have a testimony service where we get different people that most people won't know to get up and give their testimony so we can learn who they are. And I was thinking about this after talking to this woman about what would happen if we invite, if somebody came into your Sunday school class or came into our church on first Sunday night of May and we asked them to tell us something about who you are? And it was Solomon. He said, okay, I'll tell you who I am. My name is Solomon. But the name that the prophet Nathan said God should be Jedediah. And you say, do oh, you want us to call you Solomon or Jedediah? He said, you can call me the way. <laughs> call me Solomon. Well, Solomon, where are you from? He said, well, my father's a king. Oh. He said, my mother named Bathsheba 
He said, I've got a, an older brother, but he died right at birth. Oh, we're sorry. He said, I've got a bunch of uh, half-brothers, step-brothers, and sisters, and all, you know, because my father has eight wives. Oh, has he been divorced? Let me know he's still got all them wives. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, well, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> tell us more about yourself. We might not even get to the Sunday school lesson. We want to hear more about you. Well, uh, my father and mother, I was born out of wedlock, or well, they just got married, but my brother was born out of wedlock. He was a love child. Uh, my father was dating my mother while she was married to another man. Oh, really? And so she divorced him, and no, my father killed her husband. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Uh, okay, is there anything else? Well, we got a dysfunctional family. I, my brother raped my sister, and, but I had another brother that killed him for that. Uh, and my other brother rebelled against Dad and tried to overthrow him, and this man came from a wacky house. <laughs> if we think about it, listen to him, it would really be unusual for where he came from. But he, he began his reign as a humble servant. And God asked him at the beginning of his reign, he says, what do you want me to do for you? How would you like God to ask you, just name it and I'll do it for you? He said, I just want the wisdom and understanding to lead and guide and have a heart for these people. He said, it's a good request. Tell you, since you did that, you didn't ask for wealth, riches, I'm going to give you some money too. And did he give him some? Listen to this right here. I didn't do this, but somebody did this. Elon Musk is one of the richest people in the world. He was the richest. Now that he bought Twitter, he may have gone down a little bit. I don't know. But very wealthy. He's right there in the top. Worth over, at one time here, a year ago, it was $184 billion. Now, if you broke that down, if that was the salary, this, somebody broke, broke this down and said it'd be $485.50 he makes a second. If you want to break it down to the minutes, he makes $29,200 a minute. That's better than minimum wage, I promise you that. He makes about $175 million an hour. An hour. And Solomon was probably 11 times, the way they figured it out, over 2 trillion, 11 times richer than he was. Boy, had it. I mean, when God gave him some money, he, he blessed him. But as he grew older, he got more into idolatry. He started chasing and uh, getting all these wives. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Somebody asked an old boy, said, what would you do with 700 wives? Would you like to have 700 wives? And he said, no. And it wasn't for the reason. He said, you think about it. You've got 700 mother-in-laws to deal with. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, uh, Wilt Chamberlain wrote a book a while back called A View from Above. Now, that's what he put in his book. He claimed to have been with over 20,000 women in his life. I watched a documentary by Ric Flair, was a, a wrestler. He was giving his life story in this documentary, and he was telling how much he drank every day. It was unbelievable. He said, yes, I did, every day of my life. And he said, I know I had over 10,000 women in my life. Whew. Solomon didn't marry these women because he loved them as chasing. He really did a lot of it because... 
he was making alliances with other nations. But he was quite a unique character. He had to be on some love or some lust or something in there. He did a lot of it for political reasons. Do you even know who our allies are as Americans? Most people don't know which nations we consider our allies, the ones that are by our side that would stand with us. Here's what the top ten are. Now, this probably changes. Number ten was the Philippines. Number nine was Germany. Number eight was France. Number seven was Australia. Number six was Japan. Number five was Mexico. Number four was South Korea. Number three was Israel, even though I'm, Israel may have gone down in this present administration. Number two is Canada, and number one is Great Britain. Those are considered our top ten allies. Well, Solomon made all, got all these women and married because he was making alliances, a lot of it, but there was a lot, it wasn't just for that reason. But anyway, uh, he also made, had a big army, and he had a lot of building projects going on, and he taxed the people terribly put a heavy burden on whenever he was gone, they were crying for relief from taxation. But in the years of his life, it says that God removed his hand of blessing from him. Let me, let me read you some things. Look at 1 Kings 3, I mean 1 Kings 11, 3 through 4, and then 8 through 11. It says he had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Now look at the other one. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Verse 10, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, for as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. God said, I've had a about all I can take from you, Solomon. You've, you've not done what I've asked, so I'm taking away this, and this, this is what's going to happen. Now, a lot of people question, where was Solomon's with God? He's living in this idolatry, doing all this stuff, and God said, I've come to you and tried this and that, and you're not, not doing anything. I'm tired of putting up with you. But look at verse 12 and 13, very powerful scripture. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David, thy father's sake. But I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Let me tell you this. There may be people here today you're playing games with God. And the only reason you hadn't been snuffed out is because of your parents or somebody that's holding you up before God. They're holding you before the king, and God's saying, because of the covenant I've made with them and because of their trusting, I'm putting up with you right now. 
You ought to be thankful, very thankful for those who are holding up and loving you and God's doing something for you or not doing something to you because somebody else is praying for you. Well, the very end of, of Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14, this is kind of how he sums up his book, and we'll get to that in, later in the series. He said, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and, uh, and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further, by these my son be admonished, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's look at the style of this book for just a moment, then we're going to get to it. It's not going to be a long message once we finally get to it. The book of Proverbs, I told you earlier, is like short mini-sermons, just practical sentence sermons that you would put on the sign in the front of the church. The book of Ecclesiastes is like a man writing in his diary or thinking and debating and looking at the pros and the cons and why is this and having questions and just struggling with life in itself. He's talking to himself. My father used to talk to himself a lot. We used to always pick at him. Mama would say sometimes, look at your daddy over here talking to him. When he had something on his mind, he'd be there. One time I'd say something like, and you couldn't pin him down. I'd say, daddy, yeah, who are you talking to? I'm talking to myself. I like to talk to somebody intelligent every once in a while. Uh, but anyway, he's talking to himself. This book is sometimes kind of like that. He says everything in life under the sun without an eternal perspective is just vanity. Worthless. It doesn't mean anything. It's almost like cotton candy at the fair. You get the big old thing of cotton candy, you eat and it just disappears. There ain't nothing there. That's the way life is, he says. Genesis 25, 8 talks about Abraham and his life at the end of it says Abraham breathed his last breath in a ripe old age of 175. That's how old he was. That's ripe. Uh, an old man and satisfied with life. His life was very satisfying because God was in it. He was walking by faith. Solomon was walking according to his wisdom and his own stupidity and his own flesh. And life was pretty much meaningless. Here's some quotes about people that have empty lives, and that's what life's like if you don't have the Lord. Philosopher Schopenhauer said, Life is a curse of endless craving and endless unhappiness. Michael O'Donohue said this, Life is a joke and death is the punchline. Benjamin Israeli, a, a British prime minister in the past, said, Youth is a mistake, middle age is a struggle, and old age is a regret. One bumper sticker said this, Work Eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, then you die. <laughs> Pretty pessimistic, isn't it? Uh, life is like a camera. This is a little better. Life is like a camera. Focus on what's important. Capture the good times. Develop from the negative times. And if things don't work out, take another shot. Somebody said life's full of optimists and pessimists. They both contribute. The optimist invents the airplane 
and the pessimist invents the parachute. Uh, maybe so. Life's not easy. It's not pain-free. It's got struggles, and it's difficult at times. But not for a child of God. We're, we're holding on to not to Solomon. We're holding on to Jesus who said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So that's what we're here to see. Paul, there's nobody in this life that went through more struggle and heartache than Paul. And here's what he said in Colossians 3, 2. Set your affections on things above and not on things of this earth. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. For which cause we faint not, we don't give up, but though our outward man perish, and it was perishing daily, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul looked at life from above the sun. Solomon looked at life below the sun, just through man's eyes and how futile it really is. But if you've got the Lord in your life, it's a whole different perspective on life. All right, let's look at this message for just a moment. Let's get started. Life is meaningless, he said in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, that means worthless, meaningless. There's, nothing, there's no real meaning. You can't put a, add it up. It doesn't make sense. Now, he's saying you'll never have enough. You'll never be rich enough. The house will never be big enough. The car will never be fast enough. You'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be, you're always striving. You'll never be satisfied in this life. And there's a lot of truth to that. Without the Lord, there's definitely no satisfaction. Here's what he says. Let's look at the things you do. He said, first of all, this is why life is meaningless under the sun. It's temporary. Look at verse 4. One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. He said, we're constantly coming and going. There's no longevity to it. You know, before the flood, people lived seven, eight hundred years. Methuselah lived 969 years. Can you imagine if you had to live that long? After the flood, things changed. Did you know this? In America, in 1860, the lifespan in America was 40 years. I'd have been dead 26 years ago. In 1940, no, in 1900, the longevity was only 48 years. 1940, it was 62 years. Remember, the Social Security came around in 1935, and that's why you could get it when you got to be 65 because you didn't live to but about 60. <laughs> and they wasn't planning on paying any out, and now people live to be 75, 80, 85, 90, and there's more going out than coming in. And now they haven't changed it because a politician is not. He's like a hog. He ain't going to butcher himself. I can promise you that. They're afraid they won't get reelected. Anyway... 1980, the lifespan was 73. 2000, it was 76 and a half. 2020, 79. Anyway, uh, Solomon's saying, life just flipping. One generation comes and goes right after another. There's no longevity to it or anything like that. He talks about generations. In Luke 150, he says, uh, the, the, 
Jesus said or, or said about him, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Psalm 105 says this, His truth endures to all generations. Psalm 71, 18, Lord, don't forsake me until I declare your power to the next generation. Matthew 24, 34, And those who see these signs that he'd been talking about in Matthew 24, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Here's a powerful scripture, Judges 2.10, talking about after the death of Joshua and them, another generation arose who knew not the Lord or the things that he did. We're only one generation away from apostasy. If we don't pass it on to the next generation, it goes. He said, Life is just temporary. It just goes one generation's gone, then another one comes up. Second thing he says, life can be repetitious. Look at verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and haste to the place where it rose. It's just every day. It's the same thing. I don't know about you. I kind of like to see the sun come up every day. Anybody here ever worked on an uh, assembly line where you're doing the same job? Maybe hundreds of times, thousands of times every day. That's, that can be a very repetitious type of job, be very tough to do for most people. Uh, but the repetition is very difficult. And that's what he's saying now. He says, God set these planets and all this stuff in motion, the sun and things, and it just, you can set your watch by it. It's just everything, it just, everything works together. I'm glad for that. I'm glad we have a God. Uh, that doesn't change. I'm glad we can count on God. I'm glad he's the same yesterday and today and forever. A lot of people like to change. They're, they're not happy. They change their hairstyle once every two months. They change the furniture. They change the yard. They change uh, friends. They just change. They're constantly looking for some change, change, change. Well, that's what he says here. Uh, life is just repetitious, so it's kind of boring and meaningless to him. One preacher got up at our church here years ago uh, and he got up to enter this he, you know a lot of people are conscious about what time it is when you're going to finish how long you're going to preach he got up there and he said I'm going to do y'all and so I'm going to do like Elizabeth Taylor said to her eighth husband I won't keep you long and that's why I'm not going to keep you long here today uh, there was a musical called Showboat years ago and one of the main themes in that musical was a black man and a song he sang and it was really showing about how life didn't have much hope for the slaves and stuff and how they were treated and and what they had to look forward to nothing and it's called old man river he said in that eyes gets weary and sick of trying i'm scared of living or i'm tired of living and scared to die, but old man river just keeps rolling along. It's a treadmill. It's just repetitious. No future, nothing to look forward, forward to. One guy said it like this. You get up and go to work. Why do you work? So you can get money. Why do you need money? So you can buy food. Why do you need food? So you can gain strength. Why do you need strength? So you can get up and go to work. <laughs> it's just a repetitious cycle. Here's another thing, things that you have, he said, is not satisfying. Nothing is ever new. Look at verse 10. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It's been already of old times. 
which was before us. He's saying, anything you think's new, it's been here a long time before you got here. If you discover something that you think's new, somebody it's been here a long time. That's what he's trying to say. People are always wanting something new to keep life meaningful to them. Uh, you know, they constantly, every year or two, it seems like they come up with another one of these smartphones. You know, some people have seven or number seven or eight. Some got nine, 10, 11, 12. I don't even know what number they're up to now. But they come every year. It's like playing golf. They come up with a new driver every year. It probably costs six, $700 now. And man, I got to have it. Because it's going to get me an extra four yards of, on my drive. I got to have it. So they're constantly changing and bringing something new on the picture. Uh, he says nothing new. That's what Solomon says. Now with God, there is something new. We have a new birth. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new destination. He's building us a new home. He said, behold, I make all things new. So once again, if you're looking at things from man's perspective, it's a whole different picture under the sun versus above the sun. But that's why this man being so smart was dumb in many ways. Number 11, verse 11, everything fades from memory. He said, that's another problem I've got with life. There's no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come, which those that shall come after with those that shall come after. What he's saying is, we are on this earth for a little time, and then we're gone, and nobody even remembers us. How many of you remember a lot of details about your great-grandparents? We can go up to our grandparents pretty good because we were around with them. Now, the great-grandparents, I know who they were. I can tell you maybe one or two things. Now, great-great-grandparents, I don't know nothing about them. I was talking to... Lauren the other day, I said, you know, I would like to get on Ancestry or one of them things and find my family tree. I'd like to know where I come from 8, 10, 15 generations ago if I could do that. She said, Dad, you may not want to know where you came from. <laughs> I said, well, I might not. I said, but now John Smith founded Jamestown 16. That might be kin to me. I might be part of the founder of this country. I said, so I'd like to know about that. Uh, but Solomon says, you're forgotten so quickly. We don't even remember. We make a big ripple, a splash, and then the ripples fade quickly. 50, 60 years after we're gone, nobody knows you at all. He said the other thing that makes life meaningless to him is the things you know in verse 13. You're constantly learning things. He said, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail has God given to be to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Here's what he's saying. I've searched for knowledge and wisdom, trying to know the meaning of things, all pursued it all my life. The more you know, the less you realize you real, really know. That's the way it is. That's the way man is. Every time he invents something to be a help, it causes two more problems. Do you ever notice that? We come up with the answer here. Uh-oh, it created another problem. Just seems like it is. We just, it just leads to nowhere. Somebody put it this way. Philosophy can answer the question about man's mind, but not about man's soul. Science can answer how does a man die, but it cannot answer if a man dies, will he live again? Ethics can answer 
Where can a man, how can a man be right with other men? But it cannot answer, how can a man be right with God? All the learning and all the education of man has a, just ends and doesn't fulfill you. Let me wind this down and say this. There are basically two types of people sitting in here today, and you may be one or the other. Some people are saying this, if I could live my life over, I would not change a thing. Everything I did was great. Others would say, if I could live my life over, I would love it. I would love to know then what I know now, and I could have made a lot of changes along the way. So whichever camp you seem to fall in, both of us are wondering. Uh, the one thing we can do is learn from Solomon in this series. Hopefully we can learn from the mistakes. A man that was given so much and had so much wisdom lived a life so foolishly because he was like Frank Sinatra. He did it his way. He lived life without God directing and leading it. Heard one time of a man went to see a doctor. and He said, doctor, check me out. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. He said, checked him over from head to toe. He said, man, you're in perfect health physically. He said, but doc, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm blue. I'm sad. This and that. He said, oh, your problem, I'm not a psychologist, but your problem is you're depressed. He said, maybe I am. What can you do for me? He said, well, I don't know what I can do. I'll tell you what I can do. I'm going to give you two tickets to the circus. I went to the circus yesterday and saw the animals and the trapeze and all. It was great. Me and my daughter went. It was a wonderful time, and I laughed. They had a clown there that was so funny. My ribs were hurting watching him. Made me laugh. And the old boy began to cry. He said, now what's the matter with you? He said, I am that clown. There is no joy outside of the Lord. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Somebody asked Albert Einstein's wife. Albert Einstein, probably one of the most intelligent people ever walked on this earth. Asked his wife, said, do you understand your husband's theory of relativity? That's what he was known for, that great. She said, I do not understand that, but I understand my husband. God never promised to give us the answers to everything in life. But he said, I'll give you myself to walk through this life with you. And that's all I'm going to give you, which is everything. We're, we're, Solomon was constantly looking for the answers to life, but he missed the big answer. It was God. Now, there's some people that look at that and say, well, Solomon saved? Some people I've read said, I don't even think we should even have a book in the Bible from Solomon, the way he lived his life. I don't know I'm going to go that far and all, at all. I mean, I look at the end of this book, and he seemed to have his, got his ducks in a row. I don't know. I'll say this. We worked at the farm supply store, getting fertilizer in here on these killer brews. You direct them to different farms where they can get it, and they spread it on their pastures and crops and stuff. A lot of times the farmer will tell you, bring it this gate here. He got a lot of acres. I want it over here because this is the section I'm going to be fertilizing. These things are, you know, 20, 21 tons of fertilizer you're bringing in. And you're get, most semis, they're on the highway going back and forth. But not many big trucks are made for going down dirt roads and pastures. 
loggers and stuff do it. But So you direct them down there a lane, and they're going under the canopy of trees and curbing, trying to squeeze through, and they get to the gate of the field where he said to drop it, and the gate's locked. It's almost like a dead end. I hate a dead end. You've got to turn around. And so we'll usually try to, we used to try to call the farmer, hey, we're there, the gate's locked, what you said to go in. If we can't get him, we say, cut the gate. We're going in, we ain't back. He said, I can't back out of here. Cut the gate. He'll have to buy him another chain and a lock. But that's what life is like if you don't have the Lord. It's just a series of dead ends. Nothing. Dead end after dead end. I want you to stand with me. You know, I don't, I don't preach very often to sinners. I don't preach many messages to the lost because I really feel the role of a pastor is to equip the church. Our job is to go out and reach the lost, not to bring everyone and see if we can preach to see if somebody. Our job is to be where we need to be so we go out and witness and tell everybody. But if you're here today and you are lost, or you're here today and you've tried everything in life and realized it ain't nothing, I'm appealing to you today. Jesus came and gave us not only eternal life, but life more abundantly on this earth. Without him, you don't have life. You have nothing but death. You have the misery of this world here, and then you've got an eternal misery waiting on you at the end of it. So let's be in an attitude of prayer. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he came to pay for your sins and mine. He came, died on the cross, took our sins, paid a price we could not pay to satisfy the justice of God. And by satisfying God's justice, we can, by faith and repentance, believing that and receiving him in our heart, we can be made the righteousness of God. And you can go to heaven, and then you can also have a life down here that is abundant and free. There's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus. You're not where you need to be. You're tired of the dead ends. You're tired of the emptiness that life brings to you. We'll ask you right now if you need prayer, and you come on now. God may have been putting up with you all these years because somebody's been praying for you. Somebody's been standing in the gap for you. He's given you time after time after time. If you don't know Jesus today, if the Lord, if the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, we'll give you a second because we want to pray. That's the most important thing you can do in this life is get right with God. Let's pray. And if you feel that, you come. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we reach out to all the Solomons. May not have his wealth, may not have his wisdom, but they're living life and trying to find answers and meaning without you. And it's a dead-end street. It has no future. There's no hope. And there's no life beyond the grave either. I pray today, God, for these, your people, help us learn from the mess-ups of a man that was smart but very dumb. May we not be like the fool that says in his heart there really is no God. I pray today, God, as we leave here, <clears throat> help us do all within our power 
to tell somebody about one that can save anybody and give anybody hope eternal. We thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight.